This is The Playbook. And, you know, there's nothing like Moon, Aikman, Steve Young in football, and there's nothing like Serena Williams, Venus Williams, and Capriati and Roderick in tennis. But Tony Brown, I think, caps uh, even the Hall of Famers of the Hall of Famers because when you hear who this man has developed, who he has worked with, the spirits of excellence, and the humility. This The minute I met this man, it was like you and I, Rick. It's like, oh, my goodness, I have a new best friend down south, and I'm coming to visit him next week or this week. I'm sorry. There he is, the incredible Hall of Famer himself, Tony Brown, president, uh, as his former president of MCA Records in Nashville. But he has worked with the biggest names, just to name a few, uh, a small guy named George Strait, a woman named Reba. Uh, we might know her, but even a small young guy uh, that some of you may remember his name's elvis and uh i think elvis and serena and venus are uh, at the top level welcome tony brown but david you're still my thunder here i can't believe you brought up all these things first off welcome to the show oh sorry i I forgot forgot. this is is rick macy's specialty what what do you call it common thread no there's there's common threads that we have with everybody on the show. And when I saw it like a music producer, I'm going, this could be interesting, but we might have more than anybody. So first off, you work with the King Elvis and I work with the Queen Serena. There you, you go. Also, you also you also work with Reba McIntyre and in tennis, you need proper attire. Okay. You're a, <laughs> you're a world-class producer who makes records and I'm a world-class closed coach who helps players break records but this is going to bring music to your ears okay you work with the stars david work with warren moon and rick is in the sun all day so we got the sun the moon and the stars okay welcome to game set life we're glad to have you um I'm, it's an honor and i get to see you both on friday right I, i'm <laughs> gonna be there i'm hoping rick can c- come up to nashville it's not a big a big flight, but I'm coming for sure. And you get to meet some of my oh, I family. Wanna, I, I hope he comes too, but I want to meet you, man. Cause when you talk about me, you make me feel like somebody. <laughs> you, you, you are, and, you, and you're somebody wow. because you make people uh, somebody, which is really nice. And even currently Drake Milligan is someone you're working with. And he was a finalist on America's Got Talent and uh, launched his big release on September 15th and so many others. You know, we were talking about uh, this entitlement that people have. And I'm someone that learned entitlement because I had entitled myself. Uh, I made a lot of money when I was young. I came from nothing. And I see in music and in sports, the same thing happened to, to people that come from nothing and then have everything, not only that they've dreamed of, but other people have dreamed of. You know, how do we stop that process as you you know name some of those humongous stars out there tony to keep the humility that you know really they possessed at an early age when they receive so much attention money fame all, all the things that can destroy our humility you know I'm, i've been so lucky that that most of the biggest stars i've worked with are so humble reba is so humble vince gill Hell, even Elvis, you know, people say, what was what was he like? He totally was the person you hoped he would be. He was really a Southern, good old Southern boy, you know? And uh, uh, he, although he was Elvis Presley, I got to see him around his house. So I got to see that side of him that 
people don't get to see, but he was absolutely the person you hoped he would be. Because I know, surely, I've met some of my heroes who were disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. As, as uh, I, I used to have a partner named Tim Dubois, he said, you know, when artists are young, they're so cute. <laughs> when they're brand new, they're so cute. And then they change. But I, I've been so lucky that George and Reba and Vince, hell, even Lionel Richie, when I, I'd met Lionel, but when I finally got to work with him, I felt like I'd known him all my life. He's that kind of accessible person. And uh, I've just been lucky to, to work with some great people. There's been a few uh, exceptions. I won't say who they are, but there's been a few exceptions. At, like one time, uh, one of my artists, I was at a, at a restaurant, a really nice restaurant, and he got pissed off at me because I was uh, refusing to let him have the album cover he wanted. He threw his steak at me. <laughs> and I said, why did you do that? He said, man, people expect me to treat you that way. You're the record guy. I went, that's not a good answer. No. He says, I'm the artist. They expect me to do that. I said, no, they don't. Yeah. not cool. Yeah. But you know, uh, it's funny you say that, Tony, because one of the things with young athletes uh, that we actually articulated to them is the exact opposite. Uh, when you show up, show up as someone they don't expect, meaning that most people have a diva type of expectation of the biggest stars and, you know, be conscious of being aware that you really can make an impact when you're exactly the opposite of what people expect, meaning humble and gracious and kind and all the things that, you know, they don't expect from the biggest stars in the world. It has exponential impact. Uh, so I think it's interesting uh, that people have that, you know, moniker of, Hey, we expect you to be a big shot, but it gives yeah. you more of an opportunity to be humble. But, you know, I've, I've learned how to deal in a, like those situations where a, a person's a diva. It doesn't upset me. It just, it kind of like, it reminds me of a Saturday night live skit or something like nobody would believe this. <laughs> you know, and, and I just, I just deal with it and uh, not that I like it, but, I sure prefer humility any day, any day of the week. Yeah, let me let me uh, just back up a little bit. What was it like being in Graceland and with Elvis? You played the piano back in the day. Can you share with everybody just that experience? Because well, I you just know, you know, actually, my first job at the Elvis was a group called Voice. That he put together just to sing gospel music around his house, and. Uh, then the last job I had with them was with actually with the CCB band when Glenn D. Harden left to play with Emmylou Harris. I replaced him. But my first year with Elvis was just to be around his house. And we never went to Graceland, but a couple of times. We usually went to Palm Springs and Beverly Hills. And in fact, if you do some research, he spent more time in Palm Springs than in Graceland. He, he really liked that place out there. And then it was usually just Elvis, Elvis and us around in the living room talking about gospel music, you know, and it was, it was a uh, totally non celebrity star. Like it was really very normal. Uh, the few times, a couple of times I went to Grayson and we went there one time. Uh, and I got to experience one of those at three in the morning. Let's go to a theater and see a movie. <laughs> we all pile in the cars and go down to this theater <laughs> And there's everybody, they're popping popcorn, they're all dressed in their little outfits. And we go in to see this movie. We sit down 
and it's featuring uh what was his name uh i can't think of the name of the star but it was a star that had just taken sheila ryan was one of elvis's girlfriends there for a brief moment for like 15 minutes and sheila ryan had decided to to date this this movie star that was starring in this movie as soon as his name came on the screen we were up and out <laughs> Wow! Great, great. And my, and my first thought was, oh, "Oh man, those people got so got all dressed up and stuff. Poor people." But then I thought, and "You know what? They have a story to tell. It's a funny story. You know, Elvis comes in, he stays five minutes and leaves, and like they got that Elvis moment that most people don't get. You know, so yeah. Well, you you, you speaking of moments though, Tony, you have this extraordinary book, and it's interesting because. With four Grammy Awards, you know, all the different things you've been honored for, 100 or more number one singles, you've yielded hundreds of millions of dollars in album sales, but you've created a book that captures snapshots. And I talk about people giving a meaning to your past, and it's hard to change a snapshot of what people think of you. Uh, and we all have different snapshots. Uh, you know, I prefer to forget the ones when I was 19 years old and I prefer the 55 year old David Meltzer over the 19 year old David Meltzer. But how did you choose 150 pictures that are behind the scenes? You've had such an extraordinary career over 40 years. You know, I would think the hardest part of your book, which is amazing, by the way, uh, and it's called, by the way, Elvis straight to Jesus book. And uh, yeah, but how did you choose the pictures? Because it must have been insane trying to do so. Well, before I before I answer that question, I'm just so excited I get to meet you in person. It's so cool you're coming <laughs> to my house. So cool you're coming to my house, man. I love it. Uh, I had flown to New York to talk about doing an autobiography, and everybody said, "Man, your story is so interesting," but nobody really knows who you are because you're not a celebrity, and it wouldn't sell any books. It would take you six or seven years to write an autobiography. So I came back to Nashville and I told my manager, Melissa Core. I said, if I do a book, I'd do a coffee table book because I could tell my story with pictures easier than, than text. So I picked people, like 40 people, at intersections of my life where when I met them, things changed. Something happened, you know, like because of them, this yeah. happened. And so I went through my whole life that way, and I pretty much involved every artist I worked with that were my biggest artists, like, you know, Steve Earle and Lyle Lovett and Straight and Reba and such. There's a lot of artists that are not in there that I produce, but the artists that are in there are things that made a difference. Like when I signed Steve Earle, uh, Jimmy Bowen thought I was crazy, you know? And uh, and that record took 10 years to go gold, but to this day, I think that record is really defines me as a producer. Uh, Rolling Stone recently had the best 100 records of the 80s, which included Thriller and... Uh, Peter Gabriel and Born in the USA, and that album Guitar Town was in that in that group of records, which makes um, me realize that sometimes the rec records that make the biggest impact don't sell the most. You know, I mean, I did my first straight record sold six million, my first Winona record sold six, and I had uh, Vince Gill that sold five. But Guitar Town was a statement for me as a producer because I wasn't trying to be edgy. I just thought he was the next Waylon. And the press said he was the next Mellencamp. So that book sort of tells you the story. Of, you just roll with the flow, you know. 
And uh, <laughs> and I even have the doctor in there, the, the brain surgeon, who, when I had my fall in 2003 in Los Angeles and almost died from a traumatic brain injury, he's the one that heard about it, hopped on a plane and flew to L.A. and saved my life. He's in there. Uh, so I, I included people that were that important things happened. And uh and, and it just tells a story. And so I took a picture, a current picture of everybody in this chair at my house so they can see how they look. For instance, like William Lee Golden from the Oak Ridge Boys, when I played with the Oak Ridge Boys and they were gospel, he looked like Warren Beatty. And now he looks like Leon Russell <laughs> or Rick <laughs> Rubin. So I, I wanted them to see then and now. I try to look the same. You know, I'm vain, so I take care of myself. <laughs> So I try to keep myself looking kind of the same, but there's people in there who really change during the uh, writing of this book. Listen, you've had, you've had like, no, you've had like an amazing career. What would you say would be the most pivotal thing ever in your career? Uh, besides game set life today, I know that's a game changer for you, but what would be the most pivotal point in your career? Cause it's, it's truly amazing. When Right it would have to be playing with Elvis, you know, and for, yeah. for four or five years there, I used to get really not mad, but I get frustrated because somebody would say, I'm going to ask you an Elvis question. I said, well, go ahead, because that seems to define my career. But as I look back on it, because of that job, I met so many people. Yeah. And it sort of as a musician, it raised my status. People thought I was better than I actually was. You know, playing with Elvis is not as complicated as playing with Michael Jackson or Celine Dion. You just did a lot of banging, you know, and you have like a 15 horn piece horn section, 20 backup singers, 10 piece band. And most of the songs are three or four chords. And all you got to do is just hang with Elvis. So but that that gig really opened a lot of doors for me. And so I am now totally proud. And people always say, what was the the most special moment I played with Elvis. And I always say, uh, every show, every night, the 2001 Space Odyssey, that intro, which is the best any star has ever had. We do that, he walks on stage and then, then the flash bulbs are crazy. And then Ronnie Tut goes into that jungle beat. We do CC Rider. And it's like, like you're strapped in a race car. And then the second song, he does that. And you do Teddy Bear. <laughs> and then you hang over the rest of the rest of the show, and then the only other intro I had was the last song I can't help falling in love. So as long as I could do the intro to Teddy Bear and I can't help falling in love, I had to strap myself in and ride with Ronnie Tut on the drums. I mean Ronnie Tut was a monster drummer that played with Elvis, and you know he he was the engine behind behind Elvis's music. And the last two shows, it's interesting. The last two shows that Elvis ever played, uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Cincinnati, Ohio, Ronnie Tut had a death in the family. So the last two shows, the drummer was Larry London, who played with me in the Cherry Bombs. He weighed about 400 pounds, and he's the only person that could have stood in for Ronnie Tut because the drummer, that's the engine for Elvis's music right there, you know. And uh, so I, somebody sent me a picture, and I from June the 26th in Indianapolis. And I saw Larry London's head and I was going, that really is from that night because that's Larry London on the drums. 
But playing with Elvis was just to be worthy of playing in that band. I mean, James Burton, the guitar player, is in the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by himself for playing with Ricky Nelson. Larry London, I mean, uh, Ronnie Tutt played on Billy Joel, so many records. Jerry Chef, the band was so awesome. Playing with Elvis was definitely was cool. But play, playing in that band, it gave me a sense of like, I'm good enough to play in this band. I'm okay. And then after yeah. I left that band, and after I left that band, uh, you know, because Glenn D. Harden left to go with Emmy Lou Harris, he quit Elvis for Emmy Lou. When Elvis passed away, I come home like, now what do I do? I get a phone call. Glenn D. has quit Emmy Lou and gone with John Denver. So I go there. And that's where I meet Rodney Crowell and Roseanne Cash and Ben Skill. It's all like a sliding doors, you know, and everything led <laughs> to another. And then when I finally decided to quit playing as a musician, I told uh, David Briggs, who was the other keyboard player with Elvis, who's in my book, by the way, David Briggs. I said, I want to get a real job. And he got me a job with RCA Records as an A&R person. I started there, moved to LA to be a pop A&R guy, did not work, moved back to Nashville, Stayed there a year, signed Alabama, had no idea how big they would be. But because of that, Jimmy Bowen, who was taking over MCA, stole me away from RCA because I had signed Alabama and thought, I'll steal their A&R guy. And he said, I'll train you to be a producer. And he did. So every decision I made, I made some good decisions. And then, you know, when Jimmy Bowen left to go to Capitol Records, I inherited Reba and George Strait. And I was so lucky that my first record with Reba, she said, you like the song Fancy? I said, I love it. She said, Jimmy Bowen would never let me cut it. Will you cut it on me? I said, hell yeah. It's the biggest, yeah. it's only a top 10 record, but it's the biggest hit she ever had. And then the first record I did with George Strait was Pure Country. The movie was a stiff, but that record sold 6 million records and turned him into a bigger star than he's ever been. Bowen had just signed the Judds. Naomi got hepatitis. So the first record I get to do is Winona, her first solo record. It sold six million. So the three things in a row got dumped on me just by just by being in the right seat at the right time. And as they say, luck is when when uh, preparation meets opportunity. That's luck for me. I was ready for that, and, and it changed everything, you know. And then Steve Earle and Lyle Lovett made people realize that I really did have, uh, I don't like to use the word edge, but that I like music for music's sake, not just because it was like radio. But I signed those acts thinking they could get on the radio, and we did. But I, I, Jimmy Bowen just gave me a set of balls, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I got to work with a man like him. I'm so glad I get to work with you and Rick Macy. You guys have found some of the greatest talent early on and the humility. So, Rick, you got to come, Friday. You got you to gotta come, man. I'll, I'll try my best. How's that? But I'm, I'm glad to get to meet you. And when I read everything, I was, I was over the Warren Moon. That's yeah, right. Come, I was over the Warren Moon. Speaking you of come, which, you, you know. In, we would do all the talking and. David would have to sit in the room and listen to us tell stories all day long. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I'll listen all day long. Trust me. What a blessing it is to. So looking forward to meeting you, David, in person. So looking forward to that. 
me too. Thank you so much. And I know they've done the movie with Rick, you know, with King Richard. You know, we were involved, of course, with Lee Steinberg and, and Jerry Maguire. So I can't wait to see what movie they do uh, with Tony Brown behind the scenes as well. And oh, elevating I'm not you sure. I'm not sure that will ever happen. I, I love I love your optimism, but man, I don't think that will ever happen. But I, you never okay. know. Keep, stick with the optimism. You're a optimist like Rick Macy and I. Thanks for joining us. I will see you this week, my friend, the incredible Tony yes. Brown, another yes, Hall of Famer. Thank you for yes, playing Game Set Life.